Hello, I'm Ed Needham, editor of the fabulous literary magazine Strong Words, and this is my podcast, The Five Rules of Writing. In each episode, I speak to a most excellent writer in a particular genre about how they do it. And if you'd like to know more about Strong Words, and specifically how to subscribe, go to www.strong-words.co.uk and you'll be whisked straight to the website. So hello, welcome to the Five Rules of Writing. Now this is a podcast where I talk to writers about the five things they know to be true about writing, whatever it is that they write for a living. So whether that's romantic sagas or the lyrics to heavy metal ballads, there are some aspects of their work that are absolutely non-negotiable. And today I'd like to welcome a great and prolific novelist in not one but two genres, my good friend Tammy Cohen. Hello, Tammy. Hi, Ed. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Now, before we get onto your five rules, Mm. most people find it hard enough to produce any sort of novel, yet you write them as two people. Tell us about that. I do write as two people. Well, yeah, well, I started off writing um, women's, what was called dark women's fiction um, under the name Tamarco, which is my real name. (laughs) And I think the the publishers thought that would give me more gravitas than um, Tammy, but they were wrong. Um, uh, So I did three books under that name. And then um, and then the booksellers decided that no one could pronounce Tamar. So it was decided I would be Tammy Cohen. So I wrote a few um, psychological thrillers under Tammy Cohen. And then, I I don't know, I wanted to write something else. I wanted a new, uh, I wanted to be able to branch out a bit more than than the psychological thrillers I was doing. And uh, decided to write, to try my hand at writing historical fiction. And so I needed a new name for that, uh, that because Tammy Cohen wouldn't cut the mustard as a historical fiction writer. So, so Rachel Reese um, was born and I've written three Rachel Reese historical fiction fiction. Okay, well, it's hugely impressive. I mean, do you do first one and you go from the first word and you write it to the end and then finish it and then you switch to the other or is it kind of psychological thriller in the morning, historical uh, drama in the afternoon and then champagne and deep thoughts? In the- <laughs> Always champagne. It's like Barbara Cartland round at my house. I'm on, <laughs> laid out on my purple chaise long. Lots um, of chiffon. <laughs> and a little fluffy dog. Um, no, that's not how I write. I, I, my brain cannot encompass that at all. I have to do one book from start to finish and then start another one. Um, and, it, and I find it quite tricky when like this week I was in the middle of writing the next Rachel Reese and then um, I got the copy edits in for the last psychological thriller so I had to drop the Rachel Reese to do the copy edits and and I I now am completely out of the the zone for doing the Rachel Reese it's going to take quite a while to get back into that so my brain cannot work that way. And are they both as demanding as each other or do you kind of sort of very much prefer being one person to the other? I prefer being the one that I'm not at this present moment. <laughs> so when I'm writing, when I'm writing a, a historical fiction, I, I'm just thinking, oh, 
Isn't it brilliant when you don't have to keep stopping every every other word to kind of check the etymology of this word or or you know look up this fact or that fact and I can just write the psychological thrillers and it's all contemporary. I don't have to do any research. And then when I'm writing the the contemporary, it's always like oh I would love to be able to be a bit more flowery at this point and a bit more um, and go off and do some go off to Cuba or the or the Riviera and do a bit of research and um, yeah so so yes I have FOMO of whichever <laughs> whichever um, pseudonym or writing hat I haven't got on at that quite moment. I can certainly see the appeal of the uh, the, the Riviera uh, 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 causing all sorts of trouble for you but what when um, what sort of prompted you in the first place to take sort of embark on the steep and lonely path of the novelist uh, well, I always wanted to write novels. Um, always, I never. Uh, and it, the fact, the strange fact is, it took me till I was forty-seven to do it. <laughs> Although that's not through want of trying. I did start a lot of novels over the years, many, many, many novels over the years. But I didn't have any um, discipline or any motivation. You know, it's such a lonely thing. It's such a long slog writing a hundred thousand words. Uh, you have to have something driving you through it, like a burning idea or or a conviction that you're that this is the book you're meant to write, or or now I've got a, a deadline and a contract. But when you're just starting and you don't you don't have that, it's really hard to keep going. And so I would start, and I and also I never I never plan them out so I never knew what was going to happen in the end so I would get to 10,000 words and it would all kind of collapse and I just couldn't I didn't have the the self-belief I think it was probably to go to go through with it. So was there a point when you thought I can do this? No I still haven't (laughs) haven't reached that that point (laughs) every single time I feel I can't do this and it's always it feels feels like a miracle when it gets done um but no the the first the first but when I thought I knew I I could complete it um that was the first book the mistress's revenge and it and in order to get to that stage where I, I knew I could complete a book I had to I had to get past the first 10,000 words stage. So I was, I sent the 10,000 words to an agent, my agent now, um, Felicity Blunt at Curtis Brown. And, and she actually called me in and said, I think it, I think it could have potential. But obviously you've got to go (laughs) go back and write the next 90,000 words now. But it was just, just that. But just that bit of encouragement was someone else having a belief that that gave me the, the belief and the confidence to see it through to the end. From Strong Words magazine, these are the five rules of writing. OK, so tell me your first rule, Tammy. Ah, well, first of all, I have to say that I don't have any rules in this. <laughs> and you've made me come up with this list of well, rules. You, you do. You just didn't realise it. <laughs> right. OK, now I do. So I've been trying very hard to think of my list of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first rule is uh, it's about perfection. My first rule is about do not expect perfection and 
always understand that that great perfect idea that comes to you fully formed in the bath or on your dog walk this this amazing opus that you're going to produce you will never produce it when you start when you when you start writing the instant you you put pen to paper or or get on the keyboard you the slow disintegration of your great grand perfect idea begins and and it's some people can't come to terms with that at all and some people spend the whole the whole of their of their draft and draft after draft chasing this elusive perfect idea that they had in their head knowing that what they're producing is not is not it um but so so my first one was just accept it you know i it was iris murdoch that says um every book is the wreck of a perfect idea and and i think you you have to accept it i mean i that was iris murdoch she produced amazing books but her her books were still the wreckage of a perfect idea and um and i think the sooner you come to terms with that the better okay now it sounds a little bit as though you might have come to this conclusion from bitter experience is that the many case bitter experiences. <laughs> <laughs> many many bitter experiences um but yes yeah, so every book every book you feel like it's going to be this this grand grand thing I think not so much the first one the first book that I wrote I was it just it just got it it was a different it was a different thing it just came to me I didn't have any pressure I didn't have I, I wasn't kind of trying to to make a point or to prove anything because it was I didn't have a contract at that point but the second book which was which I did have a contract for I, I came up with some very grandiose idea of the of this great comedy of manners that I was going to do in in um you know a la, a la Jane Austen with all these um philosophical little observations and um and it was going to be um telling all these truths about betrayal and about love and revenge and um and then I and so it was it was massively long and it was overblown and I um and it had not not really any structure (laughs) and I gave it in and my um my editor, my lovely editor, um, took me out to lunch and she said, um, I'm afraid this is unpublishable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I, and after I'd stopped crying and weeping, <laughs> I realised that she was absolutely right. And, and um, Did the table go over? The, no, it was, a, it was just, it was two days before Christmas. It was a very gloomy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she was absolutely right. It, was, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't good, and it, and this perfect idea that I'd been chasing just didn't exist. And I went back and I completely rewrote it, uh, and it worked much better. Um, okay. uh, but yes, but every book, every book, you have this idea. You have it like with the the book that I've just written, the the Rachel Reese about Q was set in Cuba, and um, and I had this absolutely knew the, the atmosphere I was going for that it was in the 1950s and there was all that that seedy seediness but also the glamour and the the mafia and the the um you know the sultriness the music everything you wanted that whole feel and and I just couldn't get it as I was writing and and it was worse after I'd been to Cuba to research it I realized I just hadn't got it I just oh no quite capture it and it kind of 
it's it made me stuck for quite a long time after I came back from Cuba I, I think I had about three months where I didn't write a word because mm. the, the reality of what I'd written before I went was so different to the to this perfect uh, atmosphere I wanted to to capture but you just have to you just have to get on with it it's, and just accept it perfection is not possible Okay. And you're, I mean, you were saying, you know, just yesterday, you were still making edits against the clock. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's, it's, were you sort of surprised when you started out that this is what writing novels actually looks like? It feels like the enemy of creativity in a way, you know, that you just got to get it done. And then at the end of the day, it's, it's finished, whether you like it or not. Yeah, well, it's dead. I mean, you know, I came like you from, from journalism. And, um, and I think, I think that that helped a lot with, with, this kind of being able to jettison the idea of perfection because as a journalist you're always up against the deadline you've always got to hand it in whatever shape it's in it's got to go because they, 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 they need to publish it and so you get you get used to giving something in that isn't perfect you know you don't have the time to tinker around and hone it and hone it and hone it you just got to got to um accept this idea um that, that it's not going to be perfect. Um, okay. And you also gave me this, you know, sent this great, great quote over from Sadie Jones. You said, mm. you imagine a cathedral and on the page, it's a garden shed. Yes, isn't so, that perfect? <laughs> that's so just if you, perfect. If it's a mistake to sort of envisage this great uh, Baroque creation before you've even written the first word, mm. what, what, what does the sort of germ of a good idea look like? I think it's an idea that you kind of feel. To me, it's it's something that you that that excites some kind of feeling in you. Uh, I don't know a, a heart. I was reading something interview with Elizabeth Strout, and and um, and she said that she she writes in snatches, and and she has the heart when she can feel a heartbeat of a scene, and and it's a a feeling. It's something that. Um, Something that makes you, that, that talks to something in you that you think you've got something to say and that you want to say it. Um, okay. Okay, what about your second rule, Tammy? My second rule. <laughs> I'm trying to read it off the screen. <laughs> oh, it's about authenticity. Authenticity. I think um, it, people have to feel like, this is an authentic book that the characters are acting in an authentic way. Um, I think, uh, yeah, even if you're 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 writing a, a work of great imagination and fantasy, it it has to be authentic. It, it and even more so if you're if you're making it fantastical, it has to be. People have to recognise it and and understand it. Um, I think. Uh, I think there's there's two parts to authenticity. There's 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 writing detail. I think I think often authenticity sits in the in the in the small details that you, as a reader, you can understand. I mean, to, to go back to Elizabeth Strout again, she her her books, you know, they they stand and fall by these tiny little details that she she puts in that as a reader you you understand, makes you understand that character and, and understand the, uh, the emotions they're going through. Um, you know, that she'll, she'll have a, a character see 
see a, a red scarf on the floor and a, a child dropped a, a red scarf and it will trigger some some thing in this character's head that that reveals to them that they were that you know that she was a bad mother or that she she could have done better or I don't know so it's, it's the little details that make something authentic but it, and it's also it's also the universals the the universal kind of emotions um if people people are solipsistic when they when they read they want to 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 see is this how I would react um is how does this this talk to me and my experience and uh, and I think you know that doesn't mean to say you have to you have to have empathy with the characters or like the characters but you have to recognize the way in which they react in the situation or the emotions that they that they have mm. and you mentioned when you were writing your book about Cuba that suddenly you just you just ran into a brick wall was that a problem of authenticity that you just couldn't work out what rang true for them yeah yes I think yes in a way it was and it was um it was about that particular character I think um you know that was, was an English ingenue going to this this world and being thrown into it and and I don't think I'd got her her quite right um yeah i i think it was it's 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 a hard you you under you know it when you haven't got it right you can feel mm. you feel that something's not working and you know it as a reader when you read you read something and you you think that's not that doesn't have integrity that isn't how how that character would react how any character would react um i yeah, I think it's about recognition and... Right. So I wrote about uh, Hilary Mantel recently mm. in Wolf Hall and about how, um, you know, she she had exactly the same problem, although she was writing about historical, real historical figures against a real historical backdrop. As yeah. A, uh, imaginary historical figures against a real historical backdrop. But she said, uh, you know, the, prob the, the solution lay in, um, you know, we know that uh, Anne Boleyn is going to get her head chopped off. And, mm. um, you know, but but she doesn't. And so that's that was kind of the key to it for her. You know, the, the, she, instead of looking at it from the perspective of the of the history book and knowing yeah. how it all turns out, she had to get into the head of somebody who didn't know that uh, Henry VIII was going to have several wives after her and didn't know that he'd sent for a special swordsman to chop <laughs> her head off even before they started the trial and this kind of thing. So I thought that was very illuminating, really, you know, that people, yeah. don't, people can't see, people only have the perspective of the present and not the future. Anyway, yes. well, how about number three, Tammy? What's your, uh, what's your third rule? My third rule, <laughs> as I looked at, is, oh, yeah, showing up. That is probably the most important rule, isn't it? You have to actually show up to, to get these things uh, written down. Um, and sometimes you just have no inclination and no desire and no inspiration. And, but you still just have to show up every day. And I was reading actually yesterday in the paper, there was a, 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 an interview with a, a songwriter and um, a guy called Jeff Tweedy. I've never, mm -hmm. I've never heard of him, but, and he was, um, and he was talking about this inspiration and he's saying, um, 
He was like, don't, you know, you can't wait for inspiration to strike. You have to put yourself in the way of inspiration. Um, and he's saying in his field, you know, you have, uh, you're writing a song, it can take five minutes and people talk about like Dolly Parton writing nine to five in the morning and then I will always love you in the afternoon or some, some, some such thing. But, you know, that... That's almost as it makes you feel like she's walking along and these things just come to her and she writes them down in five minutes. But she's a, she's she's an incredibly hard working person. She stands, she goes in every day. Every, you have to put yourself, like as he says, in the way of the inspiration. You have to sit at sit at your desk and and you know turn on the computer or pick up a pen, write whatever comes into your head. Write some words. Do some like diagrams. Whatever might put you in a position where in, if inspiration comes to you you're ready and waiting to receive it yes. uh, and if it doesn't come to you you still just you just write what you can I mean this this year has just been awful for so many people trying to write during lockdown and with all this all that's been going on in the world and I think a lot of people have struggled to write at all because anything that anything you try and come up with is is just you know doesn't doesn't even light a candle to what's going on in the real world and what's going on out there is so fantastical this whole this whole year where that where the entire planet has kind of ground to a halt and been in this state of stasis stasis however you pronounce it it's it's just you couldn't even you couldn't make it up so I know a lot of people have struggled to write at all and that uh and yet you still got the deadline so during the first lockdown I was um I had to get a book in by June a psychological thriller called The Wedding Party so I was I was having I was coming to my desk every day but I had on the on the screen in the corner, the kind of live feed from the Guardian, just going through with all these bizarre things happening all over the world. You know, the airports closing, the the um, the streets completely empty. Everything was so strange, and so I was what I had that on, and I was convinced that I wasn't actually making any progress on my book because I was so so obsessed with all the other things that were going on but I would kind of like watch the news for 25 minutes write for five minutes do the do it again on repeat but somehow by June I had a book okay yeah I think Jack London said uh, you know there's no point sitting around waiting for inspiration to strike you've got to go after it with a club <laughs> <laughs> and do you, what's your technique then for getting started are you a sort of so many words per day are you a first word yeah. on the page by 9.01 a.m how did you do you have a method no I show I show up <laughs> I sit at my desk uh, do best. I do my best um I try I what can you do I try I write I try and um, I mean I, we're going into my fourth rule now okay let's do rule <laughs> we're, we're four. venturing into my fourth rule <laughs> with this whole thing of process but um but yeah I, it's the showing up it's the showing up every day and the and the and the writing something no matter whether you don't feel inspired to write it if you write if you write 150 words today it's it's 150 words you didn't have yesterday. You will okay. get there. And what is rule four, Tammy? 
rule four is don't be <laughs> don't be pigeonholed um, into thinking you're this or that type of writer uh, and and you know the subclause of rule <laughs> rule four is a is you know don't think you have this one process um, because to me every book has been a different process and um, so so yeah so the first bit is about being pigeonholed and and you will um, as a writer almost always your 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 publisher will try and pigeonhole you well first of all your agent will when they send out your book to to publishers they'll say oh this this is this writer fits in this genre I see them on, next to this person on the shelf um, and then your publisher will fit you in a pigeonhole and then the sales and the sales team will do that when they go to the retailers and say this is the shelf you would put this person on but at source you as the writer I think it's very unhelpful to pigeonhole yourself as a particular type of writer I think huh. um, when I when my first job as a journalist was at Bella magazine in back in the day and I remember the, the commissioning editor there I just had no clue really what I was doing and the commissioning editor there said it's really easy you just it's it all we're about is a, is a good story well told that's all you have to remember, a good story well told. And I think that's still the case. That's still writing books. You want a good story well told. That's what you want as a reader. And that's really what, what I want to do as a, as a writer. And then, and so it's not a good story well told with two twists in the middle and a, and a, and a reveal at the end. It's not, there are no kind of conventions. It's just a story. So you, I think, I think, you have to just set out to write the best story you can in the best way you can and forget about the idea that you're supposed to be writing according to certain conventions. Because mm -hmm. a book, you can, most books, you can, you can um, push them into one genre or another at a later stage. It, my first book, The Mistress's Revenge, it was, it was, um, published here as dark women's fiction, but in some of the other territories that it was published, it was a psychological thriller. So they, I think a, a good story will cross genres. And I don't think that's our problem as writers to, to um, decide which one we're in. Okay. Uh, okay, what about number five? Yeah, uh, number five is... <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, self doubt. Yes. Well, I think we've touched on this <laughs> already. This is this is my um, absolute uh, specialist subject, uh, <laughs> which I'm, I'm very good on self doubt. Um, I think, yeah, everybody, everybody has self doubt as a as a writer, and I think the ones that don't are probably not very good. Um, uh, but I don't know whether you saw that Ian Rankin documentary about how, and it followed him over the course of writing one of his books. It was really, really good, really interesting. And, uh, and there was a, a phase where he just believed that his book was like the worst book ever and why was he writing it? And he, I think he calls it the fear um, and everybody has it. You get to that 
stage where you just think and usually usually your initial kind of excitement for the idea and for being writing a new book will carry you over the first 10 20,000 words but then after that this this midpoint you start sliding into <laughs> this abyss of thinking why did I think this was a good idea why do I think I can write this book why do I think I'm a writer all these all these things and that's where it really helps to have a, a network of writer friends who you can ring up at these points <laughs> and okay. you know exactly what you're talking about so I was going to I was going to ask you know after sort of you've written a number of books now but yeah. how so you must have developed some kind of strategy to cope with this voice telling you well this isn't very good <laughs> well uh, the the first strategy is to have a contract and a deadline that you have to keep going even when the voice is saying that you're you're uh, this isn't any good um the second strategy like i say is to have a, a network of other people that know exactly what you mean and um don't just say oh no you're really no no i'm sure you're really good it'll be fine it, people will just go oh yes no i'm writing the the worst book i'm uh, my book's worse in fact than yours <laughs> you know you're vying to have the worst the worst book um i think uh and to know to know that every all the greatest people suffered from um uh, from self-doubt i don't i think it really helps to to see things like the ian ranking thing know that it's not something that's just just about you it's it's every everyone has it Mm -hmm. And how do you tell the difference between the voice that knows something needs to be better and the voice that only knows how to carp and sneer and undermine? <laughs> uh, yes, I'm good at the, the second one. <laughs> I, think, I think having done it, having been through it several times now, I, um, I kind of know I, it is a it's a stage in the process that that I will get through. Although, although to, to be honest, every time you get like the copy edit that I got yesterday of the book that I've written, I'm still going through just thinking, oh my God, this, this is, you know, until it goes out there and people start saying nice things about it, all you've got is that that voice saying, oh, are you sure about this? And oh dear. Um, but you have to, you just have to believe that you've done it a few times in the past, we do it again. Mm. And you have to not. And the other trick is not to not to keep telling other people that you've written the worst <laughs> book in the world. <laughs> when, when I was first started out, my agent had to had to give me a real um, telling off because she was just saying, "Can you stop telling people you, you write terrible books?" And you know, you've got to start start bigging yourself up because nobody else is going to do it for you yes. you've got to keep those um niggling, <laughs> niggling well, and now i try and keep them to myself well i bumped into her at um newbury race course one year <laughs> and uh, introduced myself and uh and just about virtually the first and i said i'm you know i'm a friend of tammy cohen's and she, virtually the first thing she said well, look, would you have a word with her and <laughs> tell her to start you know <laughs> stop undermining herself so much and have a bit more confidence so yes well i try now i try to do that <laughs> and do you think i mean i certainly feel this doing doing even doing strong words you know my beautiful magazine uh, which is produced you know several times a year and i know you know the idea is to sell it and for people to read it but i still kind of feel 
as if I'm showing people my homework. You know, it's a, it's a, it's ter- do you think all writers feel like that? A bit it is. A, it's a terribly, um, it's a terribly personal thing that you're sending out in the world when you sat on your own with a, with a, book for a hundred thousand words. You know, for a year, two years, whatever it is. Uh, you know, and it's and it's your. There's so much of you in it, and then you give it, you send it out to people. It's it's terrible. It's like it, yes, it is like showing them your home. It's like showing them the inside workings of your <laughs> of your mind, and then to have um, and knowing that people are going to like give their opinions on it. It's awfully scary. Most traumatic. Yeah. So what's what's next for you, Tammy? Uh, next, I am writing. So I've just the copy edit I did yesterday was on my psychological thriller, The Wedding Party which is out in May next year. And I'm working on the next Rachel Reese, which is going to be set in a haunted castle in Florence in the 1920s. Fantastic, fantastic. That's brilliant, Tammy. Well, look, you, I mean, you've given people an awful lot of pleasure with all your fabulous oh, books. And uh, now that you've shared your five rules on how it's done, revealed your secrets. So everybody listening who's ever dreamt of being a novelist has no excuse for not getting <laughs> started now. So thank you so much for joining us and uh, everyone else if you've enjoyed our five rules of writing podcast do come back again Uh, and in the meantime don't be shy about subscribing to strong words just google strong words magazine and you'll you'll be taken straight there you won't regret it thank you so much from strong words magazine these are the five rules of writing Mm -hmm.